and start this conference this way by saying that motive is everything. Motive is everything, y'all. I, uh, you know, I, I get to do a, a lot of these type of things, and for years I've I've done men's ministry, and so you know I know what it is for men and women to struggle in their marriage. A lot of times we'll come to a setting like this, and uh, man, we are uh, we're about spent about ready to throw in the towel and uh, and so we're gonna come to a conference and we're gonna learn some things that maybe can can help us but I gotta tell you most in, in my opinion most marriage counseling falls flat uh, I've done a lot of it and every once in a while you will have a success story but I will tell you most of them are not successful. Um, I, I, as I mentioned, I, I get to do quite a few retreats, and uh, there's always incredible things that God does during those. But if I'm going to be honest with you, most of it falls flat. And the reason that it does is because a lot of times, and I'm not, I'm not saying that this is your case, but what happens a lot of times is we are coming and, uh, okay, are, are we cool here? Because I'm getting ready to make this next statement. What we, what we do when we come to an environment like this is, is we're hoping that the speaker is going to tell us what to do to use God so he can please us. Okay, and, and what, we're gonna, what I mean by that is we're going to go and we're going to try to get biblical principles because we've tried everything else and nothing else has worked. And so, listen, we want to be pleased in our marriage. And so tell us how to use God to please us. Are you tracking with that? Yeah. Rather than asking, tell us what to do to please God so he can use us. And now, now listen, y'all, if our intention is not to bring God glory, if it's not to be used by him, then all of what we will end up doing for the next two days is really trying to use God to fix our stuff so we can be happy as we do this life thing and miss the whole point of what this marriage thing is all about. Now, now l l listen, let me, let me just assure you, I, man, I want you to be able to come today and tomorrow. Man, I want you to be able to leave tomorrow and have gotten some things that you can apply to your life. I want you to have the happiest marriage you can possibly have. But if that's why we're here, I, I, I must say, it's, it's, it's going to fall flat because we exist to bring God glory. I think the way that it says it at the end of your notes, until God's glory is our ultimate motive, the stuff we're presently facing in our marriage probably isn't going to change. 
And let me remind you that we live at a time, I'm sure your pastor has repeated this about as often as I do when I'm standing before people that live in the last days, that God tells us that the perilousness of our last days is about 20 different things, but first and foremost on that list is that we are lovers of our own selves. And, and man, that's what gets marriage jacked up. And so when we get to the place to where we are actually so in love with God, so desirous to bring Him glory, that is when we will see a change that takes place in our marriage. And, and again, I hope that that's what God does in the time that we'll spend together. And so just one more time before we actually get busy and you get over to page 10, let's just still our hearts. And would you, would you pray, Lord, may my motive in hearing these truths be your glory, not my own selfish interests, but you. May our marriage be pleasing to you so that you can use us in the lives of our kids and the lives of the lost people that are around us every day. And Lord, again, I do thank you for every person that has taken the, the time uh, and reserved it for you to work in their life. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, you will help me to get out of your way today so that you can do what you want to do in the lives of the folks that are, that are here. So Lord, give us understanding, give us... Uh, attentive minds, uh, give us hungry hearts that we might hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's pick up uh, with the, the session that's entitled The Challenge of Communication in Marriage. And uh, as we get started in this, what we're going to be doing in this session is looking at three biblical principles concerning marital communication. And on this first one that we'll look at, I don't want to—I don't want to sound too cutesy. And again, a lot of you don't quite know me yet, and and this sounds a little bit uh, cutesy. So. Uh, I, I don't want it to, to just be some cheesy thing, but I, I think it does crystallize the point that needs to be made. And this is what I call the pink and blue principle. And, and you'll see why I call it that in just a, just a second. But what we find is that God gives to us one of, one of the greatest keys in understanding our, 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 our marriage and what goes into all of that, and, and that great key that he gives to us is this, the, the aspect of the communication that we have with one another in, in our marriages. Uh, before we can even get out of the very first chapter of the Bible, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, 
and, and listen to the simplicity and yet the depth of this. Male and female created he them. And that sounds like just some simple statement that he just kind of randomly threw, throws in there so that nobody would ever possibly be able to rest with their gender identity or gender confusion. Male and female created he them. But this is, in my estimation, that little principle that he talks about here is one of the most overlooked and yet monumental principles concerning marriage in the entire Bible. And the principle that we glean from this is that right from the very beginning, God sovereignly, God very purposefully and graciously created men and women to be wonderfully and distinctly different. And obviously, we, we get that in the physical realm. And a lot of times, all we think that he's talking about in verse 27 is that physical realm. He made one male and he made the other female. But there is that difference. And, and when it comes to that difference, the fact is, y'all, we appreciate that. Because it's through that difference, our, our difference physically that we're able to experience the, the most euphoric feeling in the human equation. And again, that all, alone ought to scream to us that when it came to this whole creating them male and female, that God, He knew what He was doing. Okay, and it'd be one thing if that was the only difference in that statement, male and female, created He them. But I think that most of us in this room have come to realize that that isn't the only difference. There's a lot of other differences, and it's those other differences that cause us to have to step back and scratch our head every once in a while and wonder if God really did know what he was doing. <laughs> because inherent in the male and female created he, them reality, listen, there's also emotional difference. Our, our, our maleness and our femaleness affects the way that we feel about things, right? And there are psychological differences. And so our, our maleness and our femaleness affects the way that we, we process things. We have a different chemistry that causes us to just process things differently. On top of that, there's intellectual differences. You've no doubt noticed that men and women think differently. <laughs> Our maleness and our femaleness even determines which side of the brain we think from. Did you know that? In fact, the way that it actually shakes out is when a little baby comes into this world, whether they be male or female, for the first seven days, they're basically, as far as their mind is concerned, they're the same. But on the eighth day, something kicks in, in that male. It's called testosterone. 
Okay? Did you, are, are you guys aware of this little principle? I'm not jiving with you. What are you guys are going, this is a joke. He's setting us up here. <laughs> but testosterone kicks in on the eighth day, which does help with the whole clotting of blood. And so that's why on the eighth day they were to circumcise those males because it was on it. But it is then when testosterone kicks in that the connecting fibers in the brain, that testosterone messes with those connectors. And so it is from that point on that a male begins to think from the side of the brain that he thinks from. And so ladies, the takeaway from that, I'm sure for all of us, is that men are brain damaged. <laughs> and that's why we are the way that we are. We're going to blame it on God. <laughs> We're brain damaged. I, I like to refer to it as Dane bramaged. And so we, just remember that as we begin to work through some of this male and, and femaleness thing and, and all of those differences that we have. The, the physical differences, the emotional, the psychological, the intellectual, all of these differences play into what makes this incredible key to marriage, which is communication, which makes it so doggone difficult. Because the way that it actually works is our, our maleness causes us, if you will, causes us to see everything through blue sunglasses. And for the life of us, ladies, we don't know how in the world that doesn't look blue to you. <laughs> and, and in your femaleness, it causes you to see everything through pink sunglasses. And for the life of you, you don't know how in the world that isn't totally pink to us. But not only that, our maleness causes us to hear everything through blue headphones. And we hear everything that we say through those blue headphones. And we hear everything that you say through those blue headphones. And then, having heard that, we proceed accordingly. And your femaleness causes you to hear through your pink headphones and you wonder how in the world we could be such an idiot. <laughs> and when you try to explain it to us, we're wondering the same thing about you. <laughs> and so our, our maleness and our femaleness obviously affects the way that we communicate with each other. The, the fact of the matter is we just tend to say things differently and the fact of the matter is we hear things differently. But you know what would be awesome? What would be awesome if somehow if we could get to the place to where we have the same appreciation for how God made us distinctly and wonderfully different physically in all of those other areas that we talked about. Because obviously it's all those other areas 
that cause our communication to get so messed up. Typically, we, as male and females, though we never thought that it would happen to us, we, we get just a little ways into the marriage and we start driving each other crazy. And again, it's because of these differences, but what I'm wanting you to see, what I want to just highlight as we're getting started here is that the differences that God designed for us to have as men and women, He is the one that designed those from the very beginning, and He designed that it would be through those differences that we would actually complement each other and that we would actually complete each other. All of those differences were intended by God and, and actually designed by God to deepen our relationship with each other, not destroy it. But, but I'll give you that if we're ever really going to get to the place of understanding that, much less appreciating that, it is going to most definitely take some work on our part. It's going to take some maturity on our part. And it's going to take some selflessness on our part. Because the, the bottom line is, listen, y'all, whether we're male or whether we're female, what we, what we all want is intimacy. And there's no doubt about this. The key to intimacy is communication. And understanding that isn't the challenge. The, the, the challenge is that to a woman, communication is first verbal. And she spells intimacy T-A-L-K. And to a man, communication is first physical. And you know how he spells it. And what makes this such a challenge is with a woman, verbal communication paves the way for her, to, for her desire for physical communication. But with a man, physical communication paves the way for him for verbal communication. And, and this is why I, I was saying just a second ago that in order for us to really come together on this, it's going to take some work and some maturity and some selflessness because, fellas, if I may, we're going to have to understand that our wife needs verbal communication with us as much as we need physical communication from her. That's just the way that God made her. And ladies, if I may, you're going to have to understand that your husband needs physical communication with you as much as you need verbal communication from him. And believe it or not, that's just the way God made him. And that's the first key principle that, it, in my estimation, is just absolutely vital for us to understand if we're going to step up to the challenge of marital communication, the pink and blue 
principle. Male and female created he, them, and it was intended and designed by God to be a good thing, which actually leads to the second key principle that's just absolutely vital for us to understand about our communication with each other, and this is the love and respect principle. The love and respect principle, and and let me just say from the get-go on this, that we could take an entire session just on this principle. This is a principle for those of you that were with us uh, in Nashville uh, for Wedstrong, uh, uh, whenever that was, in December. Uh, we, we talked about this principle. Uh, you know, for those of you that were there, I'm sure that you're not going to uh, be bothered by the reminder of this incredible principle. Those of you that weren't here, if you've never been dialed into this love and respect principle, uh, though it's worthy of an entire session, we don't have the time to give it, but I would just say, listen, if you do not know this principle already, uh, try to hear more than I'm saying right now because this is just so key to everything that is going on in your life and, and in your, your marriage. And, uh, and I'm not exaggerating that one bit. Okay, let, let's, let's, to get the principle, let's talk about what is in my estimation the most important verse in the Bible concerning marriage. And that principle is found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33. Uh, If I believe with everything within me that if God were going to reduce all of his instruction in the word of God to just uh, when it comes to marriage, if he was going to take all of the marriage principles and just whittle it down into one verse, I believe that it would be this verse. And let me tell you why I say that. I say that because of where this verse comes, and I say that because of how this verse comes in in this passage. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, all the way down to verse 31, what God does is he clears off a space and he begins to talk to husbands and wives about their responsibility to each other. But then he comes in verse 32 and he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so we would have to just say, hold the phone. You've been talking about husbands and wives, but you're not really talking to husbands and wives. You're actually talking about Christ and the church. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and then after saying that, he says in verse 33, nevertheless, okay, now, you thought I was talking about husbands and wives, and there's lots we can learn from Ephesians 5, 22 through 31, but he says, really, what I'm trying to teach you is about the body of Christ, and, and, you know, I don't know who all is here. We may have people from some other denomination that's here. I don't want to 
you know, go to all up in your stuff. But I will say this, that boy, if you are believing or teaching that you could lose your salvation, you probably need to study the book of Ephesians, man. <laughs> because that whole deal about Christ and the church is, we've been made one flesh, just like husbands and wives. And he says, hey, yeah, you thought I was talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about Christ and the church and the relationship that you have. But then he comes to this big nevertheless. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, and he begins talking to husbands, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husbands. Do you understand what, what's actually happening here? What's actually happening is God is saying to us in this passage, even though I've been talking about Christ in the church, practically speaking, God says, husbands, don't miss this. Wives, don't miss this. And what he does is he takes everything that he's been talking about in those 10 verses where we thought he was talking to husbands and wives. He takes all of those principles and he whittles it down to one thing for men and one thing for wives. And he gives this simple instruction. And it's almost as if in this passage, God is saying to us, listen, y'all, I am the one who created the man, and I am the one that created the woman. I am the one that invented marriage, and I know what each of you needs in order for it to work. So let me make this... Just as absolutely simple as I can, God says. And what he's teaching us here is that more than anything else, women need love. And more than anything else, men need respect. And it sounds very simplistic, but I will say to you, my brothers and sisters, if every married couple had one verse of the Bible and obeyed one verse of the Bible for the rest of their lives, and it was this verse, I believe the marriage would be transformed with one principle from one verse in the Bible. And in your notes, I put it this way. God knew that when a husband feels disrespected by his wife, he has a natural tendency to treat her in ways that cause her to feel unloved. And so God gives husbands a command to love their wives. And the implication of the verse is that he is to love her unconditionally. And all of the ladies said, Amen. Hallelujah to you. <laughs> 
would you agree? It is just a, he doesn't qualify it. He just says, make sure, fellas, that you love your wife. And, and, and I want you to notice in, in this verse that he's not to love her because of how she respects him. He's not to love her because she's so deserving of his love. He's not to love her after she respects him. He's simply to love her. And whether she's deserving of it or not, whether she respects him or not, God holds men responsible. God holds men accountable to love their wives the way that we love our own sorry selves. Okay, I'm, I'm asking now. Would you agree that that is what God is saying to men in that verse? Okay. God also knew... That when a wife feels unloved by her husband, she has a natural tendency to treat him in ways that cause him to feel disrespected. And so what God does in this passage, this one verse, God gives wives a command, and the command is to respect or to reverence her husband. And may I say to you, ladies, that if we felt that when God was telling men that they're to love their wives and that they were to love them unconditionally, you know what we have to say? That a wife is to respect or reverence her husband unconditionally. Okay, we, we, and that, that, that's easy to agree with, but what it really means is as a wife, you're not to respect him because of how he loves you. You're not to respect him because he's just so doggone deserving of your respect. You're not to respect him after he loves you. Let the wife see, he says. See to it, ladies. Let the wife see that she respect her husband. Listen, ladies, God says what he says in verse 33 because he knew women and because he knows what you need as a woman is unconditional love. He commands your husband to give you that. But God also wanted to make sure that we understand in verse 33 that when it comes to our husbands and when it comes to us men, fellas, he knew that what we needed was unconditional respect. And so he commands our wives to give us what it is that we desperately need. And the fact is, y'all, women are 
desperate for love. Men are desperate for respect. And when a man doesn't get what he desperately needs and a woman doesn't get what she desperately needs, things in that home get desperate. It gets whack. And I'm, I, I mean, to the max. There, there's this thing that I, I, I didn't invent this little chart. I, I would have if I would have thought of it. But uh, I, I gleaned this from a, a dude named Emerson Egerix. Uh, and, and basically what this, the way that it goes is just what we've just talked about. That when a man is at a place where he is without love from that one woman in his life... Or, or when a, a, a wife is without that love, sorry, what happens is she reacts to that. Man, it, it's just built into her to need that love. And when she doesn't get it, if she's in her flesh, if she's just in her natural person, she's going to react to that. And when she reacts, she's going to react to her husband without respect. And when she has the audacity, to respond without respect, well, he's going to react. And when he reacts, it's going to be without love. And when he reacts without love, then she's going to react. And when she reacts, it's going to be without respect. And round and round and round it goes and where it stops. And that crazy cycle can go on for an hour or a day, or a week. And some folks live in it and wondering, what in the world happened to us? We were so crazy in love, man. And listen at how we have become, and listen, y'all, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. It's not what I like to call rocket surgery. <laughs> it's really pretty doggone simple. But couples feel like, oh my goodness, we, we just have this truckload of insurmountable issues in our marriage. And the fact of the matter is, Except in some very rare situations, what most couples have is not issues. They have an issue. And the issue is she ain't feeling loved and he ain't feeling respected. And if we could work together just a little bit to, to process this and to think back, okay? So let, let's, let, let's, let's just go back to what life was when we were dating our spouse as opposed to what it is now that we're married to them. And typically the way that it shakes out is this, is, you know, here's this, this couple, and they start making eyes at each other and, you know, 
there's some kind of chemistry that's, that's going on. And man, she, she thinks that he is it on a stick. And she just thinks he is so cute. And everything that he does, she just loves it, man. And she holds him in admiration. And during that dating, she approves of everything that he does. And she affirms him in everything that he does. And he just totally flips for her. He just thinks that she is the most beautiful woman on the entire planet. And he makes her feel special. And he makes her feel valued. And he cherishes her. She pillows her head every night thinking, I didn't think there were men on this planet that knew how to treat a woman. And man, I've got that man. <laughs> okay, so that's the way that it is in dating, but something usually happens to all of that and changes all of that, and it's called marriage. <laughs> and what happens on the other side of marriage is now she's not always that admiring woman with stars in her eyes, and she doesn't really approve of everything that he does, and she's not constantly affirming him in everything that he does, like she did when she was dating, and now he's not that cute guy who's making her feel special and making her feel beautiful and making her feel valued and cherished. And, and, and ladies, listen, I, I want to say to you, as a man, first of all, hopefully in the next two days, if, I, if we're not already friends, I, I, I hope I can say this to you as a friend. Uh, I, I say this to you as a pastor. Ladies, more than you ever possibly imagined. It was your admiration of your man that filled his tank to be able to give to you what you were really looking for. And so if, if we're going to step up to the challenge that marital communication obviously is, we're going to have to somehow get back to this simple little principle of what we did when we were dating. Fellas, when you were, when you were making her feel beautiful, when you were making her feel cherished, man, that's what caused her to affirm you in all of your junk. <laughs> It was because of the way that you made her feel. And now we don't make each other feel like that. And so we get in that crazy cycle. And we, we're not feeling 
what we used to feel toward that person. And so uh, I can't say enough to you about male and female created he them. The pink and blue principle, you got to just get in your head. There's a difference, and we've got to get to the place to where we appreciate those differences. We've got to get, come to the place to where we understand from Ephesians 5.33 this incredible principle where God is the one who created us and made us and invented marriage and is saying, you know what? Men, if you can get this love thing right, and ladies, if you can get this respect thing right, it will transform your life. And then there is one other principle that, uh, that I want to share with you. And this one is where all of what we've talked about so far begins to get practical. This is what I call the Christ and the church principle. Okay, so now we just talked about the love and respect principle from Ephesians 5.32. And, and what he's told us is in this passage is that he's clearly talking to husbands and wives. And, and what he says in this passage is that he was really talking about Christ and the church. Okay, so we, we, if we're going to really understand marriage, we're going to have to understand some things about Christ and the church because that is really what is driving God and His instruction to us. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul lets us know that in God's mind, He sees our salvation as our being espoused to our one husband. We are a spouse to Christ. And again, what he says is to our one husband. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 9, John lets us know that in God's mind, he sees our salvation as us being a spouse to Christ as, uh, as we are the bride of Christ. Okay, so, so biblically, our marriage to Christ is a perfect picture and the perfect picture of the relationship that God intends for us to find as husbands and wives in our, in our marriage. And, and listen, y'all, in our marriage to Christ, do you know what the key to the intimacy of that relationship actually is? It's the same key that is the key to the intimacy that we have with our spouse. It comes down to communication. That's what causes us to have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it would stand a reason that if we wanted to learn what God really intended for our communication in marriage to be, we could then look at Christ, our perfect husband, and what he taught us and what he has given as an example for us about this communication. If we could learn from him about this thing and how that works with Christ and the church and now apply that to husbands and wives, there might just be something biblical that we could throw our lives at that would change us. And guys, I, I, 
I want to say to you, I certainly don't tout myself as any marriage expert, and uh, I, I don't approach the subject, you know, as a lot of people that are more gifted than I when it comes to humor, you know, it, a lot of people can bring you to a marriage conference and just get you laughing, and there is certainly value in all of that, and they'll share some cool principles. But we are Bible believers, y'all. We, we, we believe that God invented it, and God left us a manual for how to use and yet... I'm not so sure that we've ever taken the time to call out the principles that he's actually laid out there for us. And so I, I want to just ask you to pull it in, and especially you fellas, since we're going to be talking about the key to our communication with Christ, and it, it begins with us learning from his example. I, I've called this in your notes, seven keys to communication we learn from the perfect husband of the bride of Christ. And here's the first one, letter A. The, the perfect husband hears his bride. And oh man, what a beautiful reality this affords us as the, the bride of Christ. We could only wish that every bride in this room could find that Reality in her not-so-perfect husband on earth. The perfect husband, listen, y'all, hears his bride. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 tell us, and this is the confidence that we have in him. Okay, and do you have any idea how blessed we are with this confidence that he's about to talk about? That if we ask anything according to his will, would you listen to this? He heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know. There's that confidence again. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so, fellas, you know what we learn from our perfect husband that we all have been a spouse to as males? <laughs> what we learn is our, our wives desperately want and need that confidence in us that we will hear them. And, and I get it. We're, we're not God. And, and so we certainly will, you know, won't be able, like verse 15 says of him, we won't be able to grant every petition and we certainly won't be able to fix every situation that our wife has. And the fact is, fellas, our wives know that and they don't expect verse 15 of us. They don't even want that from us. But what they do want, as the beginning of verse 15 says, is they want to know that we will hear them. Listen, not just listen to them, because they know that we can act like we're listening. <laughs> Verse 
But they want to know, deep down in their knower, that we're hearing them, that we're hearing what she's really saying, fellows, that we're hearing what she's really feeling, and that we're hearing even what she's not saying. And all the ladies said, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you, ladies. Come on, don't leave me out to dry here. Well, fellas, listen, if we, if we could walk away tomorrow afternoon having learned this principle from our perfect husband, my wife needs the confidence that I will always hear her. And then next, letter B, the perfect husband is understanding with his bride. And, and listen, fellas, do you have any idea just how that actually affects our communication with our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize that the fact that he is so un unbelievably understanding of us actually serves as the basis for our communication with him. And we learn that from our perfect husband in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, where the Apostle Paul says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I used to struggle when I first got saved as a teenager going, what? <laughs> okay, what it's saying is we do have in the Lord Jesus Christ, a high priest who's touched by what we go through. And the reason that he can be touched, because do you realize had God not become a man and just sat on his throne where he was worthy to stay, Amen. we would be little peon humans down here going, yeah, but you don't know what we go through down here. We can't say that because he was in all points tempted like as we are. He did the whole human equation, yet without sin. Let us, okay, because he's so for us and so touched by what we go through. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you seeing that, fellas? We, we come to him to communicate to him what we see as our needs, looking for him to extend to us mercy and grace and help. And as we do, man, 
we are filled with a settled assurance that we're going to find him as our sympathetic high priest. And we know in our knower that whatever we share with him, he is going to be touched by it. He's going to care. Hello? In other words, we're going to pour our hearts out to him and he is going to feel what we feel. That's what it means to be touched. To feel what we feel. And again, it's that settled assurance that we have in him that serves as the basis for our communication at the end of verse 16 that's the reason that we come boldly to the throne of grace it's because he knows us and even with all of our shortcomings all of our flaws all of our weaknesses that we have in our humanness, he's understanding of us. What verse 15 lets us know is that we're never going to come to our perfect husband and him not be able to relate or him not to be able to say to us, I know. And not only to say, I know, He's never going to be at a place to where he goes, I, yeah, I can't, I, I don't know what you're saying. I don't understand. And, and listen, that's one of the key reasons that God became a human in the first place. To experience every aspect of the entire human equation. And may I remind all of us men that God says through the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, that is our, our wives. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 13 defines the word dwell as a settled place. And God says here, husbands, Dwell with your wives, watch this now, according to knowledge. And I believe what he, he's calling all, us to, all of us to do with our wives is what he has so carefully and graciously done with us. Settle them because we so know them and based on our knowledge of them, Seek to be as understanding of them as he is of us. And fellas, man, I'm hoping that we can go home tomorrow afternoon having learned from our perfect husband. My wife needs to be settled in the fact that I will always know her. And then we learn next, letter C, the perfect husband shares his heart with his bride. He shares his, his heart. And, and again, this is uh, such a big part of our communication with him, that, that he shares his heart with us. See, that, that's why we constantly are telling people that we're witnessing to. We're not talking about religion. 
We're talking about a what? A relationship. Because, listen, it is a relationship. It's not just one-sided. It's not just us as the bride sharing our heart with him and, and him caring for us. No, listen, he cares enough about us to share his heart with us. And we see this so beautifully exemplified beginning in John chapter 13. And, and really to catch the heart and the spirit uh, of this, let me remind you of some things that John said at the end of his gospel. In, in the very last verse of the very last chapter, John 21 verse 25, John lets us know that if someone were going to try to write down everything about our Lord's life, he says, I mean, I suppose that even the world itself couldn't contain the books. And, and, and what he lets us know in the very last verse of the next to the last chapter, that everything that is in the Gospel of John that made the cut was carefully measured by the Holy Spirit. And the reason I think that's so important to see that is because beginning in John chapter 13, John peels off, would you listen to this? John peels off five entire chapters, almost one-fourth of this book that the Holy Spirit was very carefully regulating what got in there. Five chapters detailing for us what happened in the life of Christ in a 12-hour span. 12 hours right before Jesus died. And in John 13 and verse 1, the verse that sets the context for the next five chapters, John gives us a little insight as to why the Holy Spirit would take so much time and space to talk about such a short period of the Lord's life. Would you listen to what he says? Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, watch this now, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. But listen, y'all, this is why this section gets so much space. It's because all through it, Jesus is loving on these men. And you know how he's doing that? By sharing his heart with them. And not only with them. Do you realize this made the cut? Because he's sharing his heart with us, y'all. Do you have any idea just how much of the intimacy that we have with Christ that we learn from this section of Scripture in John 13 through 17, where Jesus just pours out His heart to us. And do you have any idea just how important that is to us and how desperately as humans we need God in a human body to let us know His heart? It's in this very discourse in, in John uh, 17 and verse 3. What, what's going to happen here is, is Jesus is going to let us in on this, this intimate conversation that he's having with his father the night before he died. And he, he's going to say something that was intended for us about just what this, this life eternal thing is all about. 
And we know that it was intended for us because obviously he wasn't informing the Father what it is. This, it's not like the Father in heaven was needing an explanation about life eternal. And what's he, what he lets us in on is that this whole life eternal thing is really about knowing him. And of course, the, the, the Father. And, and it's the very thing He's seeking to let us do in this whole passage. It's so that we can know Him. And listen, not just in this passage, but the entire New Testament. It's so we can know Him. Because you know what the, the last sentence of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 says? about what it is that we actually have in this book. Do you know what we actually have, y'all? We have in this book the mind of Christ. And I would submit to you that not only do we have his mind, but we have his heart. And it has everything to do with shaping the intimacy of our communication with him. And listen, fellas... Our wives, yeah, they, they, you know, they want to share their heart with us. But our wives want us to share our heart with them because they, they want and they, they need to believe in their hearts that they know us. May we all learn as husbands. My wife needs to believe in her heart that she knows me because, again, that serves as the basis for her communication with us. Again, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be crass, but men are way into intimacy with their wife. And I'm not referring to the verbal at this point. They're way into that. But because they never share their heart with their wife, wife doesn't even feel like she knows him. And do you know what we call women who go to bed with men that they don't know? And we sometimes wonder why they don't want to share intimacy with us. It just well could be that they feel like they don't know us because we never share our heart with them. We, and we got to learn that, y'all. We got to learn that from our perfect husband because that serves as the basis for our communication with him, and it serves as the basis of communication in marriage. And then next we learn, letter D, the perfect husband is the burden bearer of his bride. L listen, fellas, in our relationship with our perfect husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you know what's awesome about our communication with him? It's that he actually invites us to allow him to bear our burdens. 
He does it through Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Peter says, Casting all your care upon Him. Listen to that. Every single last thing that we care about. And He wants us to just take every last bit of it and completely lay it out on Him. And it's not because he's trying to be some superhero. He gives us that invitation, as Peter says, because he cares for us. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And this this verse is the, the New Testament equivalent of Psalm 55, verse 22, where our Lord invites us through the psalmist, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And can you imagine what it would be, what it would do to our relationship with the Lord and to our communication with Him if we came to Him and we felt like He didn't care about what we cared about? Or or, or if we cast our burden upon him and found that he really wasn't willing to sustain us or to keep our burdens from blowing us away. Can you imagine? And I say all of that to us, fellas. Our, Our wives not only desperately want but need the man in our life to be a burden bearer and to be her burden bearer. We looked a few minutes ago at the last part of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 where Peter says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them, that's wives, according to knowledge, watch this part now, giving honor unto the wife, how? As unto the weaker vessel. And this is why being her burden bearer is so necessary. She in no way, shape, or form... I think you you ladies understand that we're certainly not saying that, that a woman is less than the man. But by God's own choice of words, what he says is that the husband is to treat her and honor her as unto the weaker vessel. And again, she's not uh, weaker in her person, but most of the time she's weaker physically. Most of the time, she would be weaker emotionally. And and by God's own perfect and sovereign design, women just process things differently than than a man does. Typically, we uh, ladies tend to internalize things. And that's that's not good. They need to get it out of them. And they do that by verbalizing what they've been internalizing through the day. And and emotionally, what she needs is the man in her life to care enough about her to send the signal like our Lord does for us that she has an open invitation to verbalize, or shall we say cast, her burdens on us. And we might need to add here that as men, okay, when, when we cast our cares on the Lord and when we cast our burdens on Him, man, 
we don't we don't want to just get it out of us man we're we're telling him all of this so he can fix it right and so when our when our wives are casting their cares and casting their burdens on us well we just naturally think okay so that's why she's telling me this <laughs> not so fast most of the time, she's not casting her cares and casting her burdens on us, so we'll fix them. Because most of the time, when we do, it sounds a whole lot to her like we're trying to fix her. And, and with the burdens that she's already carrying, that's the last thing that she needs to feel. What she needs is she just needs the man in her life, her husband to be her burden bearer, not necessarily her burden fixer. <laughs> she wants to be able to cast her cares on the man that she knows cares deeply about her. And fellas, that's why God made us the stronger vessel, so that we could do that. Not so that we could intimidate her because of the way she feels and the way that she processes things. But I'll assure you, she'll only do it if she knows that we passionately and deeply care for her. Would you listen to 1 Peter 5, 7 again? Casting all your care upon him for... He careth for you. And fellas, may we all come away tomorrow afternoon having learned from our perfect husband. My wife needs reliance in the strength of my care for her. And, and ladies, don't, don't listen to this. Okay? Just flake out for a minute. But, but fellas, if she, if she can lay bare her burdens to you and pour out herself emotionally to you, it's not that big of a leap for her to do that same thing physically with you. But it is a big leap when she understands you don't really care about her. You care about you. You want to use her because you care so much about you. Okay, and, and then next we learn that E, the perfect husband, is accessible to his bride. And this, too, so plays into our communication with, with him. The psalmist said in Psalm 55, verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and listen to this assurance. And he shall hear my voice. And you know what assurance he's communicating here? What he's saying is it doesn't matter when I call, any time of the day or night, I have with God, I have direct and instant access with Him.
I mean, he not only invites me to come, he invites me to come at any time. And I get it that Isaiah 58 is certainly promises given to the nation of Israel. I wouldn't share them if they weren't also true of his church. Isaiah 58 and verse 9 says, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say. Oh, listen to it. Here I am. Here I am. And I love that. And obviously, fellas, if our communication with our bride is going to be what she needs it to be, she's going to need to know and have the absolute complete assurance that she has that same kind of access to us any time of day or night, no matter what we're doing. She needs to know that she's more important than anything else in our life. And I'm just afraid that we send a lot of signals to our wives that there's a lot of other things in our life that is a whole lot more important to us than she is to us. Like our phone. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm listening. <laughs> our video games, Facebook, our hobby or hobbies, our buddies. I, I mean, she sees the access that all of those other things have in our lives and how we'll drop the world to accommodate them. But the question we might ought to ask is, does our wife know in her heart of hearts that she has that kind of access to us, that we would literally drop the world for her? That when she calls, oh, go back, go, that we're communicating with every fiber of our being. Here I am, baby. Here I am. And again, I say, may we all leave tomorrow afternoon. Having learned from our perfect husband, my wife needs the assurance of her ever-present access to me. And then we learn next, letter F, the perfect husband nourishes his bride, Ephesians 5.29 says that as our husband, he nourisheth us, which is basically to say he does everything necessary to take good care of us. And as his bride, again, this is one of the most incredible things that he does for us and is to us that opens our heart to him and causes us to be able to express our gratitude to him and our affection for him in our communication with him. Notice back in the middle of verse 23 in this same passage, it says that Christ is our head. He's the head of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And from that position, he assesses our need. Okay, he's the head. And what we've always heard in our fundamental Baptist churches is, men, you're the head of the house. You're the boss. 
And when we really look at what this verse is saying is it is from that position that we assess the need that the bride has. And, and notice as our head, notice the position that he has. And he is the savior of the body, not the shot caller. And sure, I, I, you know, uh, I get it. He, he is our, our Savior in terms of providing for us what was necessary for our redemption. Verse 25 says, He loved us and gave Himself for us. But, verses 26 and 27 says that being the Savior of the body didn't end with His sacrifice of Himself on the cross, but He is constantly assessing our needs and He is constantly meeting them, seeking to see us become all that we were intended to be and to see our lives flourish so that as His bride, we are living up to our full potential where we were set apart to him or sanctified and we're, we're cleansed and we're glorious and without spot or wrinkle or any such thing but we're holy and without blemish listen all of this is part of how he nourishes us as verse 29 talks about our husband the Lord Jesus Christ provides everything that we need for our growth and our well-being. And verses 28 and 29 tell us that we need to learn from Christ's example. Verse 28 says, So, or that's how, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Do you understand what he said? Just like Christ loves His body, the church, men do that. Verse 29, for no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. And the point is, the Lord loved his body, the church, which causes him to constantly provide for our needs by nourishing us. And as the husbands of our wives Listen, what this passage is saying is we have been made one flesh with her and we ought to nourish her. We ought to constantly provide for her needs just like the Lord does for us. And again, fellas, may we leave tomorrow afternoon having learned from our perfect husband. My wife needs to trust the trust of my provision for her. And when she knows she can, listen, in terms of her communication with us, she will hear a whole lot more than we're saying. And then one last one. The perfect husband delights in his bride. Again, do you, do you realize just how the confidence we have knowing how the Lord feels about us affects our ability to communicate with Him? 
Again, in the same passage we're just looking at, Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, Paul says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his own wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, and here it is now, and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. That's how the Lord feels about us. Listen, y'all, He delights in us, or as Paul says here, he cherishes us. It's what a, a, a mother does instinctively with her baby. In fact, Paul uses this, this same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.7 when he talked about how he and Silas and Timothy, how they cared for and how they felt for the Thessalonians. He says, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse, listen to it, or a mother, cherisheth her children. The word literally means to keep warm and, and not in terms of temperature. Because you can keep someone warm temperature-wise with a blanket or a furnace, but the idea of the word is, listen, it's the warmth and the love and affection that a baby feels when it's being caressed in the loving arms of his mama when he's nursing. And one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is Song of Solomon 2.6 where the bride, listen, says of her husband, his left hand is under my head, and his right arm doth embrace me. Listen, y'all, that's, that's the security and the solace and the fulfillment we find in the Lord Jesus Christ because he cherishes us. He delights in us, and he wants us to feel the warmth of his affection. And listen, the point of this is in the same way that we experience that with our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, our wives are to find the loving arms and the warmth of their husband. They ought to find a man who delights in her and cherishes her. And again, may we all leave tomorrow afternoon having learned from our perfect husband. My wife needs to feel the warmth of my affection for her. And so, would you look at what we've just seen here? The perfect husband, the seven keys to communication we learn from the perfect husband of the bride of Christ. <clears throat> the perfect husband hears his bride. The perfect husband is understanding with his bride. The perfect husband shares his heart with his bride. The perfect husband is the burden bearer of his bride. The perfect husband is accessible to his bride. The perfect husband nourishes his bride. The perfect husband delights in his bride. And you say, I don't know how I'll ever remember all of those. Well, let me show you what we just have seen. That this is what it really means to be a husband to our wives. And you know what? I think with that little acronym, 
we probably all ought to be able to get our heads wrapped around what this thing really ought to look like and what we learn about this thing from Christ. And in conclusion, because I'm sure the bathrooms are about ready to get used. The conclusion is this, the practical message to the ladies. If I could just say to you ladies, find your sufficiency and the fulfillment of your needs in Christ. Find a perfect husband in your Savior. Okay, now, everybody, man and woman, make sure you're really hearing this now. Ladies, your man is as big a piece of work as I am. We, man, we, we struggle. You know why he's here today, though? Man, he, he wants to do better. And praise the Lord that, that he's here. But I will tell you that your, your husband can attempt to do everything that I have talked about. And unless you're finding your sufficiency in Christ, unless you know him as your Savior and relate to him as your Savior, man, your man is just always going to frustrate you. And, and, and listen, y'all, you know, all through this, this last little section, I've been telling the men what we learn from our perfect husband. But all the way through that, ladies, I hope that you understand what you have in Christ and who he is to you. And even if your husband walks away this weekend and doesn't get diddly squat, <laughs> you still have a perfect husband. Amen. And you can go through that whole acronym. He is all those things to you. The practical message to the men, find your sufficiency as the bride of Christ in your husband. <laughs> hey, what'd you, you went to that marriage conference last week. What'd you learn? Oh, I was learning how to be a good bride. <laughs> you, you know what, fellas? The best counsel that I could give you to be a good husband is to learn to be a good bride to your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do that. <laughs> Find your sufficiency as the bride of Christ in your husband. Learn from your perfect husband how to become all that he is to your wife. You're just going to learn from his example. And again, it's, it's not rocket surgery. He's laid it out so that we could learn from him. And Lord, I, I do pray that you will help us with this thing of communication. Lord, thank you that, that we have a relationship with you that is totally built on... The, the access that we have to you as our God and as our Lord.
that you love us, you care for us. And, and Lord, will you please teach all of us the ramifications of, of that in our relationship with you? And yet, I, I pray for these men that since we picture Christ in this relationship, Lord, I, I pray that uh, we will seek to become those things to our wife that you are to us. And so, Lord, will you empower us. Um, may the Word of God find entrance into us and by the Spirit of God help us and empower us to carry out these, these things. And we ask this for your glory's sake. Amen.